whether physician, non-physician, right? We all get in this habit of putting everybody else's needs first. And while that is celebrated in society, also push the pause button and make sure you're taking care of yourself and addressing your own needs. Because self-care is not selfish. It's the way to replenish your cup. It is okay to say no. It is okay to have those boundaries. It is okay to not try to fit into a box that somebody else has set for you. Create that box for yourself or, sweetheart, break out of the box. Are you burned out, overwhelmed, not managing stress well? Have you lost that fire for a profession that you loved? Are you a physician that trained over a decade for a career you now resent? I'm Dr. V, and I'm a burnout survivor. I call myself the Harriet Tubman of healthcare because I'm free and I'm coming back to get you so you can be free too. Let's move from fed up to fixing it. Although I'm a doctor, this does not make me your doctor. The information on the podcast, including opinions and recommendations, is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Such information is not intended to be a substitute for the advice of an appropriately qualified and licensed physician or other healthcare provider. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Office Visits with Dr. V. This is our burnout series. Yes, burnout. I said that word. I want us to know what it looks like. I want us to know what it feels like. And I want us to learn how we can get through it and be better on the other side. So I'm focusing on physicians because I'm a physician and I was a burned out physician. And in our community, sometimes it's just really not, you just don't talk about it. You don't ask for help. But I will say that. Even though we're talking about physicians, I'm sure you can substitute in lawyer, attorney, stay-at-home mom. Burnout affects everybody. So I would like to share stories with you. And I have a wonderful, wonderful soul here. Oh, my gosh. That has made some amazing changes. And she's putting good things out in the world to help others. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce... Dr. Sapna Shah-Hawk. Thank you, Dr. V. Really appreciate it. I'm a fan of your work as well. <laughs> Wait a minute, Sapna. You said you're not formal. You called me Dr. V. I'm going to call you Dr. S. <laughs> Dr. Uh, yeah. Well, I think I love the wavelength that we're on. And yeah. I was looking for voices out there to speak to this topic. So before I get started, I would just like to shout out your podcast. We're going to put it in the front. The Worthy Physician. The Worthy Physician. Again, Dr. Sapna Shahak. You all check it out. And Sapna, you're on what? Apple Podcasts? Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, all the main ones, even the obscure ones like Audible, Pandora. So oh, whatever so you like to listen on. Awesome. Anywhere you get your podcast. So guys, go ahead. I'm telling you, you don't even have to listen to the rest of this episode. She has some great information to share with you. Okay. All right. So I don't read bios. I'm very informal. So tell our listeners what you'd like for them to know about you. Sure. I mean, first and foremost, again, thank you for having me on. I'm an internist by training. I've practiced medicine after residency for almost a decade, predominantly here in rural Kansas. So that's where I'm located. 
I can tell you that medicine has changed since I was in medical school, as I'm sure you can attest to. And all the, all the hands that are in medicine that really drive physicians to want to quit, it's not that physicians don't like working hard, right? It's all the red tape. Right. Uh, it really takes the fun out of medicine, but there's a way to reframe that and really to, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, but there's a way to reframe that. But I love medicine. I love internal yeah. medicine. I My patients are awesome. And being a rural doc is never something that was really on the forefront of my mind, but I'm glad it happened because I absolutely love where I'm at. Awesome. Yeah. You always end up where you're supposed to be. So tell me, how did you become a doctor? Like, what was life like for you before you got into medical school? Tell us about young Sapna. Well, I've always been a smart one. So okay. I'm, I've always smarted off and never really got me in trouble, but did create waves. Okay. And not, not in a bad way, but I mean, I think words are powerful, right? Words are powerful the way we say it and things like that. If something's not right, I will speak up. Just because that's the way it is does not necessarily mean that's the way it's supposed to be. So I've always had this in mind that rules are guidelines, but they're also there to be changed and broken. Ooh. So, pause. I'm going to say rules are guidelines, y'all. Rules are guidelines. Okay. That'll be one of the quotes that we'll put out on social media. Sorry, I mean, let's look at, no, let's look at it this way, right? I mean, there's a moral and ethical code in society, and I'm not talking about those rules. I'm talking about the rules that, for example, I started out engineering, and I think I was one of two women in the class. You know, so the stereotype that women can't be engineers. Yeah, I did the math in my sleep. I had one heck of a good time in college. And when my circuits smoked because the wrong chip was in the wrong drawer, and unfortunately, that's the one I grabbed. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care. I knew that that was not what I was supposed to do. So I dropped all my electrical engineering classes, got a job at the hospital, loved working around sick people, and I went pre-med. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, wow, wow. So we were not like doctor from four years old. We got in the trenches and changed course corrected, I'll say. Correct. I mean, I think the four-year-old Sapna wanted to be a paleontologist. So, <laughs> Dora the Explorer. Pretty much. I think a, a mix of what Josh Gates and Anthony Bourdain, I think that would have been like awesome. I love adventure. I love different things. So when people try to define physicians or try to define me as a person, no, I'm going to define who I am. I'm not going to be labeled by these stereotypes that society has. That's just me. That's the way I've always been. I can tell just based on your efforts to bring light to this topic and the worthy physician, you're out there saying you are worthy and that's what you do. So that's awesome. I will say... I don't like when people say, you're a physician, so you're this way. You know, physicians are people too. I think that, yeah, we're probably smarter than the average bee, but that's not all we are. So anyway, so tell us how, you know, medical school went for you and residency. And what were you thinking after you finished residency that your life was going to look like? Sure. So medical school. Overall, it was a good time. I met great people. I learned the human body is amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Anatomy and physiology. I mean, as an internist, I love physiology and anatomy. So it's just, what is better engineered than the human body? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, that part of medical school is great. But the first year of medical school, again, it's not that I don't mind working hard, but I didn't have any time to see my my friends, my family, and explore those other interests continuously to make sure that life was balanced again. I'm one that'll walk away from something when it doesn't feel right. Mm. So my grandmother was terminally ill my first year of medical school in the second semester. Oh, wow. And I really just thought, what in the hell am I doing? So I disenrolled, spent a couple of months actually thinking about going back and getting a PhD in history and talked to some professors. I mean, it just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. You know, all this fluff. And then they changed the structure and I re-enrolled and here I am. So, you know, that part of medical school was great because I could, once they cut out all the nonsense, right, you don't need eight hours of lecture to capture all that. Mm -hmm. They they trimmed it down to three or four. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You know, cut out the BS. And yet the board scores, I don't think, dropped. So that attests to the hierarchy of medicine and the how steep we are in tradition. Right. Now, fast forward to residency. Residency was great for the most part. There were a couple of attendings that, I mean, I am not one that gets nervous or I'm not very easily intimidated, but I actually developed a stutter and a tremor in Whoa. front of two attendings. Whoa. Was it just those two particular attendings or it was just those two particular? Oh, wow. Oh, it was a toxic environment with mm-hmm. those two. I don't know why. I don't care to know why. It was not lack of knowledge. Mm. And the residency program corrected it. It was about four of us, three or four of us, which is unfortunate, but that is real in residency. Are you saying point. three or four of you in your class? Yes. Okay. Per year. No, within three or four within my class had the same issue. Oh, I guess. Just God only knows why. Hopefully those attendings are in a much happier place in their life. I know it was not a reflection of us as residents at the time because we have all passed boards. Mm-hmm. We have all done well. So it was not the lack of knowledge. And we did not have issues on other services. Mm-hmm. It was situational. Yeah, that's a clue. So moving forward, I mean... I do try to make sure that when I work with medical students and residents, I really try not to do that. I try to be cognizant of, hey, you know what? You have an interview? Go for that. Take the day off. I don't want you stressing about that. Or, hey, we'll figure out something. That way you can learn what we did. We can talk about cases. But there's no reason to put somebody else in the corner just because that was done to you which unfortunately seems to be the culture in medicine. Yeah. Like this is the way it has always been and this is the way we're going to do it. And again, that's why I say rules are meant to be broken. Rules are guidelines. They're meant to be broken because they're not always right. A lot of them are seeped in tradition, right. leaving aside ethics or, you know, a code of morality. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Sapna, you're a rebel. <laughs> you're an activist. <laughs> you're a medical activist. <laughs> well, I mean, my mother's mother, my grandmother, mm-hmm. my maternal grandmother had a lot to do with that. You know, she was Mexican-American in San Antonio and born in the 30s. She told us about segregation. Mm-hmm. She was a migrant worker. She had maybe a second grade education wow. because she was out in the cotton fields working when World War II hit. You know, she was, the whole family was pulling together. So the men were going off to war. Women were here making ends meet. Working, yeah. 
And she and my grandfather fought for Latino rights. So when I say a lot of what I do, that is because a lady, a very smart lady, probably the smartest lady I know, that had a second grade education, right? Because it's not all about degrees. It's about practicality. She had a lot to do with raising me. Mm. There's no accident that you were in that family, for sure. No. You saw the example. Because a lot of what you're saying is not something that most of us would feel comfortable saying. But it sounds like you definitely are not shy about taking action. Real quick, you said when you're talking with medical students, you want to make sure you don't want to do that. So you mentioned not being able to take off if you have an interview. What are some of the other things that those particular attendings did that made it a toxic environment? What was that? Sure. So as a resident, you never want to, you never really want to make the attending mad. Not that I have an abrasive personality or anything. I try not to. But it was more of, I could say something and it would, even if it made sense. For example, there was a patient with abdominal pain. Everything came back normal and just, you know, the spidey sense went off. And I ordered a CT scan because I was worried about a small bowel obstruction. I told the attending that and I got ripped a new one because if the abdomen's soft, why are you doing that? There's the lights, there's less likelihood of that person having a small bowel obstruction. Well, guess what the CT showed? Small bowel obstruction. Small bowel obstruction. <laughs> it's like, damn it, I was right. And that actually ended up being a yelling match between the attending and myself in the ICU. That should not come to that. But at the same time, if you're asking me to use my clinical judgment, right? and if this person were to go to the ER for abdominal pain, the proper you know, conservative approach, like, okay, X, Y, and Z were rolled out, this person was admitted to the hospital for a reason. The next logical step would be to do a CT scan. So why are you ripping me a new one for that? Had it been anybody else that would have said it, unless it was one of the other three residents at the time, pretty sure they would have not gotten the same response. So when I have medical students or residents, I don't want to do that. And I'm not going to say I'm 100%. Right, right. Because I don't know what I don't know if I'm not told. No. But it's like, okay, walk me through. What are you thinking? Is this going to be on, you know, on the high likelihood of a differential diagnosis, middle of the road, or, Mm -hmm. you know, where is it on the differential diagnosis? And so we'll walk through that. And so I want to make sure that I don't yell at them for something that might be logical. I need to know where they're coming from. Right, right. And, you know, just for the listeners who are Mm non-medical, the attending doesn't always lay eyes on the patient. So you're the one at the bedside talking with the patient, examining the patient, and you just go back and give a verbal report. So, you know, your spidey senses, your instinct, That kind of does guide us sometimes, like something just doesn't feel right. So, you know, for the attending to kind of discount it, it seems like they should have just gone and (laughs) examined the patient themselves, maybe. But y'all, no shade. I mean, residency and and usually the centers we work in are very busy. So I I just want to be a little messy. This is real messy. What did the attending say? (laughs) Don't y'all want to know what did he say when the CT scan came back and the small bowel obstruction? I didn't get yelled at again that night. So did he say, oh, well, you were right or? There was no acknowledgement. And that's okay. That's their MO. That's their MO. 
Yeah. But the patient did well, you know. And that's, yeah, yeah. And surgery consult and everything. But no, that's just the thing. You know, not everything's going to present textbook. Exactly. And, and that's most don't. <laughs> exactly. That's, the, that's where the art of medicine comes from. Yes. The, right? The art. Absolutely. Well, obviously, you made it out of residency. Right. You made it out of residency. So tell me, what were your thoughts as you were finishing up residency, where you wanted to go, what type of practice you wanted to be in? That's a great question. So I have a little bit of a business background, and I did not want to go into private practice because if I do, I'm going to be focusing on the business side. Mm. And more than likely, that can also be fun, looking at the business side of anything for me because of the challenge, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of us are just drawn to challenges. But I did not want to focus on that because the reason why I wanted to go into medical school and residency initially was to do Doctors Without Borders. But uh, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. So that's the reason why I wanted to do that. But life took some twists and turns and that didn't happen. And I thought, gosh, well, I signed a contract with the state. So that's the way I could pay back medical school. Mm-hmm. And so one of those was to go into an underserved area. And that aligns with the values I was raised with and also working for a nonprofit. To me, that's important because our healthcare structure is not really very well structured at all because, I mean, people, how many times do people have to file bankruptcy because of medical debt? Yeah. One of the leading causes. Yep. It's, yep. I was like, say, if it's not number one, I think it's number two, right? Right. And it, you can, not to get political, but how in the world is that pro-life? It's not sustainable. So I want to be able to work with patients and to repay the state for the contract, I needed to do X amount of years in an underserved area. Mm-hmm. I ended up in rural Kansas, and in one way or another, I've stayed. Wow. Uh, this is a great place to have a young family. This is a great place to have patients. And I cannot say enough good things about where I am now. Mm. Okay, so let's get into that. So you got burned out somewhere along the way. Is that a true statement? That is a true statement. And initially, I came here to uh, Southeast Kansas, and within the first three years, I did get burned out. Part of it was the structure. It was not anything other than that, right? It's a great place. Patients are great, but being on call all the time, being expected to come in, and even if it was my weekend off or my holiday off because of the lack of internists, it was just this culture of never saying no. Wow. And so- Hmm. With that, and then a family member had some health issues, and I had to restructure what I was doing that really exacerbated it. But with the lack of sleep, never having protected time off, really, because even if I got paged and I went off on the individual, because I do, we all have our humanity, right? I just got tired. I'm the one that got in trouble. And yes, my response really should have been better. That is on me. But at the same time, when it's your weekend off and they page the wrong person repeatedly, at some point in time, you get tired of it. And so with that, we know that lack of sleep is a torture technique, right? I mean, sleep deprivation is a torture technique. We also know that sleep deprivation and trying to make medical decisions can increase the risk of a bad outcome or medical error. Error, yeah. So- 
at that point in time and with my family member having a having some health issues it was, it was my mom she had a big stroke and it left her where she could not be left alone so yeah had to step up to the plate switched gears and took a different job in a city close by my hometown of Wichita that was my first journey through burnout so let me just paint a picture for myself and for the listeners you were Working for a nonprofit, you were in rural Kansas. So question, how many other providers were in your group? How mm-hmm. often were you on call? And did you see patients in clinic? And if so, how many patients a day did you see? Sure. So, well, we're trying to grow a practice, right? It's very few and far in between until it really, your patient panel gets pretty maxed out. Mm-hmm. And so this whole time, it was Monday through Friday in clinic plus inpatient. Being an internist in rural Kansas, I did not realize that would also mean consults. So that was a new thought process for me, right? Because in the city, you know, you get admitted to the medicine service and that's that. Well, things are a little bit different in rural Kansas. And so it was a learning curve. I'm appreciative of what I have learned through it. Within our call group, there were six physicians. And that's that was not the issue. That was not the issue at all. It was that we were admitting our own patients, but then on top of that, covering for everybody else that weekend, mm. and then also carrying those throughout the week when you have clinic on top of that. So, you know, getting home at eight, nine o'clock, and then having to go at three o'clock in the morning to go do an ICU admit. And that was, or a consult that was, that became quite a bit for me. Wow. For me. I would think for anybody, but we do suffer through it though. Yeah, that's a lot. Especially when it's a large group, it seems like you just divide, you know, hey, somebody gets to sleep at some point. So, okay. So I got a better understanding of where you were. So you said that was your first. (laughs) It was my first. Your first run with burnout. So I'm assuming it must've been a second and- So tell us about that. Yeah, sure. That's really where the work that I'm doing outside of clinic, that's really where it becomes interesting. I can tell you that the next job I moved to was, again, a non, I mean, I worked for the VA Mm -hmm. and it was fine. It was, I love the veterans. That was not an issue. Part of the thing that I think was an issue was I had a lot of people that were non-physicians telling me how to do my job. Mm. Oop. Rebel Sapna's like, wait a minute. Well, no, I mean, a social worker should not be asking me what medical treatments I've prescribed for a patient. Uh-huh. They need to stay in their lane. Just like I would not try to tell them how to do their job. Hmm. And I don't know if that's a culture of medicine everywhere, because that was something that was new to me. But what really made me stop and think, what the heck am I doing? Was when my best friend, who was also a medical student in a resident with me and we trained together, she died by suicide. So now when something like that happens, it's what in the world am I doing? Wow. Do you feel comfortable kind of talking about that? Is that something that we can delve into? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Because when we say burnout, people are like, oh, you're talking about people just being tired. Oh, But there's depression that comes with this. There's hopelessness, you know, and suicide. That is 
And especially, you know, during the pandemic and afterwards, that's not like unheard of anymore, unfortunately. So I know it's not your story to tell. Well, you can't tell her story, but what are some of the things that you saw that might have led to her committing suicide? You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Dr. Baker made, look, and I, I say this every time and I mean it, she made being on call at 3 a.m. look fabulous. She really did. She loved her patients and she was just a darn good human being. Mm. And I honestly don't think anybody would have anything bad to say about her. I think that it's hard to say, but I think as physicians, right, we are type A personalities. There is a streak of perfectionism. Yeah. There is a streak of I'm going to put everybody else's needs, including my patients, before myself. Mm-hmm. Operating a medical practice is absolutely expensive. And when you have medical school debt and physicians complain about, well, I have debt to pay off, for the non physician listeners, it is absolutely true. Some of us come out with $200,000, $300,000, $400,000 of debt. Mm, mm. And right now, right now, the medical students right now even going to a state school will at least come out with $200,000 of debt. And that is not including interest. So wrap not. your mind around that. That's not even including living expenses. Ooh. That's just tuition. Ooh. Ooh. So when we complain about, I have debt to pay off. I've got to do this. I'm trying to hustle and get these things paid off. It is possible, yes, but at some point, when you do one thing, another area is sacrificed. Yeah, is suffering. And there's the myth, you know, I want to be a doctor because I want to be rich. (laughs) That's a bunch of bullocks that I would say, put that that in your pipe, smoke it and choke on it (laughs) because that is nonsense. If I wanted to make money without the liability, because remember- 80% of physicians by the age of 65, regardless of the specialty, will be sued. Yeah. For anything. Yeah. I've been that physician. Mm -hmm. And we can't talk about it. You know, there is such humiliation in the world of medicine to ask for help. And so with the culture and with the personality traits of us that go into medicine, I truly believe that contributed to Dr. Bicker's suicide. That's not the only thing, but that is what I do believe did contribute. We don't ask for help. There's professional repercussions. If we do, we can lose our license. We can be scrutinized. We can be denied disability insurance. We can be denied life insurance. Yeah. So for those that think that physicians go into medical school to make money, everything I just shared that does not happen in other professions as much as it does in medicine that I know of. Maybe yeah. lawyers, maybe lawyers, because they are heavily scrutinized as well because of the bonds of the lawyer-client relationship is very similar to that of a yeah. priest and of that of a physician. Yeah. Well, okay. So I want our listeners to take something away from this. So two questions. With Dr. Bicker, were there any signs looking back that you saw, you know what, that was a flag. Mm, I missed that one. 
And the second question is, what did your burnout look like? What were the symptoms that you were displaying? Sure. You know, looking back, I've sat down and I've talked to her and, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Looking back at the pictures, like from 2019, when she passed previously, mm-hmm. she had changed physically, but you don't really pick up on that. And because you see this person all the time. Right. Right. What changes? How did she change physically? She lost weight. Lost a lot of weight, lack of appetite. But, you know, she was never outwardly sad. Right. She always had a smile on her face. Mm -hmm. So when I got the call that she had killed herself, it was a shock. Mm -hmm. I had just seen her two weeks prior. She looked happy. She looked incredibly happy. And this was at a birthday party. Yeah. I was expecting you to say something like that. Like she looked fine because, you know, that's what we feel like someone who's getting ready to commit suicide is, woe is me and they're in the bed and they're not able to get out. And and maybe that's true for some people, but, you know, a lot of us are walking around sad, depressed, hopeless, but, you know, you got a job to do. So, you know, you all take this as a lesson that just because someone, quote unquote, looks happy doesn't necessarily mean that they are. And you might not always get flags, but if you do, if there's something in your gut, I would please say, you know, don't ignore it. So what did your burnout look like, Satna? Sure. Yeah. My burnout was irritability. Mm. Irritability, right? I'm usually pretty laid back. Except for when I need to step into the serious role, I will. But for the most part, live and let live. That but I become very irritable at the smallest things. Why is this here? Why are you asking me a second time? I become very irritable. My insomnia gets much worse. Mm-hmm. So I can't turn my mind off. It's more like, again, I, I love my patients. I can actually feel that when you say that. Go ahead. I appreciate that. But it was more, again, getting irritable at things that I normally would not get irritable at, even with mm-hmm. patients, with family, with friends, just... My dogs, my gosh, my dogs, my greyhounds, they're, you know, that's my spirit animal right there. Mm-hmm. I'm getting irritable at my greyhound. It's just what's going on. Right. And How then, did you fix that, though? So tell us what you did to get better. So first off, really addressing and the first time I needed to change, I needed to change course. Now, I still maintained some, you know, a part time clinic here in rural Kansas while working in Wichita. But the biggest thing was from work, I needed to decrease my hours. And so I did outpatient only, no inpatient at all. And that also allowed me to focus on my family. Again, my mom had had a major stroke. So priorities shifted a bit and I had to have a position where I was able to address that Yeah, with cutting back on the hours and doing outpatient only, I was able to have protected sleep and then started working out religiously, joined an awesome gym in Wichita. And it just became, you know, a sacred place. Yeah. When I'm at the gym, do not talk to me. Like, don't talk to me. Don't make <laughs> eye contact with me. Some people are that way with church. I'm that way with, I, at that point in time, I was that way with the gym. It was my therapy. So that's what I did. That's what I did. I, I had to cut back. And then the second time after Peg's death, I really thought, what in the world am I doing? I have a young family. I wanted to raise them in an area where they could still be kids. The crime rate was rising in Wichita. So 
came back here and yeah, doing well. I'm only part-time right now mm-hmm. and I don't see that changing. I work three days a week. I don't do inpatient. Ooh. So wait, quick question. Do they have hospitalists at your hospital? They do now, yes. They yeah. do now, yes. Because not only was I getting burned out, but you could start seeing it in others. You know, And if you really want to keep physicians, and because the culture is changing, not fast enough, but it is changing, yeah. that work-life balance, it is necessary because we are full human beings, right? I don't want to live to work. I want to work to live. Mm-hmm. I want to be hands-on with my kids, with the podcast, with doing things like this that actually bring me joy. And I don't consider it work. I consider it an honor and really, you know, lighting the fire, let's say. Yes, um, yes. I'm going to just kind of summarize what you just said. Your road to recovery included acknowledging kind of where you were. You said you started to work out, you reduced your hours, you cut back on your workload and don't work as many days now. That Um, is correct. Anything else for our listeners that you did that they might be able to reproduce in their lives? I really sat down and, you know, I processed Peg's death. That was the first thing I did it and it impacted me and it made me change. It, It made me change. Not just my work hours, but what I will and what I will not do. I will not go back to doing inpatient. I draw boundaries for myself. Mm. Like, this is what I will do. This is what I will not do. And if I think that the person needs to know why I will and why I will not do certain things, then I will elaborate. Otherwise, it's this is what I will will yeah. do or won't do. Take it or leave it. Right. So I do draw boundaries. I will not cross those boundaries because they are in place for my well-being, for my sanity. Exactly. You know, I sometimes, you know, I didn't even, you know, I'm OBGYN. Like, I'm like, what are you going to do if you're not inpatient, right? Right. You're not delivering babies, you know, like that's your job. But there are some changes that you can make. I didn't even think that I could make any changes. Mm-hmm. which was the lie, you always have to say, okay, this isn't working. Something's not right. Let's fix it. So there are things that you can do and there are boundaries that need to be set up, but you just have to explore it and acknowledge that you want to change. You right. want to change. So we're going to like close out real quick. I just want to hear, you know, I hear you talking about your friend and your podcast is The Worthy Physician. Tell me about how that, how did that come about? Sure. My biggest question is, how do I process the loss of a colleague, my best friend, right? I mean, her death really shook the medical community, and rightfully so, because when it hits in your own backyard, something's got to change. Right. So the first year after her passing, I did not know how to process that. I did not know how to process that. And I don't journal necessarily. I might draw pictures or, you know, a little something for myself, but just hearing about physician suicide. And then during the pandemic, physicians are asked to come out of retirement, but they're willing to pay mid-levels and arm and a leg that just did not sit right with me. Right. So that's when I decided to use the podcast as a platform to start talking about physician burnout, moral injury, pick your poison as far as nomenclature. Mm -hmm. And 
So for me, it's also been a way of grieving. Wow. Wow. You are who you are. It doesn't sound like you've changed. You're an activist. You use your powers for good. I think what I love about what you're doing is that you're giving, you're just shedding light on it. There's a voice that just even talks about it. And I'm glad that we're in this space now that it's not so taboo to really address these issues anymore. Um, right. Because, you know, the numbers are down. Like when I ask some of my young patients, you know, they want to be a PA. It's like, well, why not medical school? They're like, why would I go to medical school? Right. Or they said, oh, I wanted to, but, you know, the cost and then the stress and, you know, I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. So I think that if we're going to preserve our profession and take care of those who are in it currently and those who are coming behind us, we're going to have to get this right. We're going to have to get this right. We've got a problem, y'all. There is too much to do and not enough time. Your personal life takes a back seat to a profession that you have spent decades training for. Your calling seems to be burdensome in a system that does not prioritize your well-being. You do not have to live this way. When you take care of patients, who takes care of you? Dr. V takes care of the healthcare provider that takes care of everybody else. I'm Dr. V, a burnout consultant, and you need me as your personal coach. Go to officevisitswithdrv.com and click on the coaching tab. Schedule a free discovery interview so I can learn more about the life you need to be fulfilled. Would you like to be a guest on the show and share your biggest challenges? Sharing your story will help others just like you and me. Go to officevisitswithdrv.com backslash connect to send me an email or you can send me a message on Facebook at Office Visits with Dr. V. So I'm going to wrap it up. This is really moving. Thank you for your transparency. Anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with before we go? Sure. Whether physician, non-physician, right? We all get in this habit of putting everybody else's needs first. And while that is celebrated in society, also push the pause button and make sure you're taking care of yourself and addressing your own needs because self-care is not selfish. It's the way to replenish your cup. And get comfortable with saying no. It is okay to say no. It's okay to say, I cannot do that now. If you want to do it in the future, that is totally up to you. But the thing is, is that make sure that is not from a place of malice, mm. but from a true sense of, I don't think I can handle that today. Or that does not sit well with me. It is okay to say no. It is okay to have those boundaries. It is okay to not try to fit into a box that somebody else has set for you. Create that box for yourself or, sweetheart, break out of the box. And you are definitely a box breaker. <laughs> Man, okay, so you just said push the pause button. You know, what did you say before? You said, gosh, rules are guidelines. It's okay to say no. All of these things. I love it. I love it. You know what? That's so powerful. We're going to put that at the beginning. That's going to be our intro clip because if anybody takes away anything from this episode, that last bit, that's what I need them to hear. Sure. So, all right. Real quick, y'all, she's dropping some knowledge. So I know you want to keep up with her. So tell us how they can find you, how our listeners can find you. Sure. So theworthyphysician.com. 
That is the website for the podcast, as well as my contact info and my social media. So it's there on the tabs. Also have a blog that is interrelated to the podcast episodes. And then on the on that website as well, there's a link to my speaking page. So trying to speak on this as well as the public speaker. So that's in its infant stage. So it's a passion of mine for obvious reasons. And Yeah, yeah. Well, I've enjoyed my time with you and you're going to do great things. It takes people like you, the box breakers, to kind of wake us all up and lead us out of darkness. So you all, this ends our session. Thank you so much for listening. Please go ahead and rate it. You know, this was a five-star episode. Y'all know it is. So go ahead and just put five stars and like it. And listen, share this with people you think may really, really benefit from this. And honestly, most people can. So again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on Office Visits with Dr. V. Thanks for listening to Office Visits with Dr. V. I would love to stay connected. So please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Office Visits with Dr. V and on LinkedIn at Benita Vernado. MD. Share this information with your friends and colleagues. Like and subscribe. You know the drill. Also, go to office visits with drv.com backslash connect and leave your email to receive updates on everything that Dr. V is doing to introduce you to your new life.